air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. Joining me for tonight's show is our co-host for tonight, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. And I got a random question of the day. How come the Internet only doesn't work when you need it most? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I'm hoping to fix that soon. I'm getting fiber optic Internet, so I'm kind of excited about that. I can't wait for it to be installed. Well, that's what mine's been in and out, and I don't know if there's weather out there tonight, but uh, I sat down to get ready for the show, and I found out it wasn't working. So, uh, yeah, it should be a fun yeah. night. Oh, my. Um, well, hopefully it'll get better as the night goes on. We do have rain in the area here, so hopefully uh, it's just about done, and uh, we'll be okay for the rest of the evening. The playoffs continue for NASCAR and we're winding down the Arca Menard Series season along with the Arca West. The East is done. We know who the champion is there. That's Sammy Smith. And the Sioux Chief Showdown is done. That is Ty Gibbs is the champion in that series. So uh, a lot to look forward to this weekend. And uh, we're going to start off with uh, the few updates from the Arca Menards in the East Series. And then we're going to preview the Arca West Series at All-American Speedway this weekend. This is going to be the next to the last race for them. They will close out their season in November at, guess where, Phoenix Raceway. So that's going to be a huge stage for the Arca West Series. It really is, and I know they run on early in the year with the uh, the NASCAR Cup Series at, at, when they're at Phoenix, but for them to close out on that stage as well is just great for the Arkham and Ards West Series. It really is, and, and it's a tight battle, so we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Next, we're going to give some updates on the NASCAR Truck Series because their next race isn't until the end of this month at Martinsville. So uh, we'll give you some updates on where they are. And then finally, we'll close out with the NASCAR Car Xfinity and the Cup Series preview at the Charlotte Roval this weekend. So uh, some big racing this weekend. It's going to be elimination races. No, it's not yet elimination. Yeah, it is elimination, right? For both the Xfinity and the Cup. uh, For the Xfinity Series and Cup Series, uh, it will be the elimination race for the uh, round of eight. I'm sorry, around to 12 to go down to 8. Right, right. So definitely looking forward to that. And then 10 o'clock tonight, we will have our Hot Topic Sound Off with the Fan for Racing crew. And uh, I believe we have both Mike and Andy joining us for tonight's show, along with Jay and myself, of course. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the Arkham and Art Series. I've already mentioned it, the East is done, uh, as is the Sioux Chief Showdown uh, champion Ty Gibbs in the Sioux Chief Showdown and Sammy Smith for the Arkham Menard Series East. The Arkham Menard Series, their next race is going to be October the 23rd, and that's going to be their season finale, the Reese's 150 at Kansas Speedway at 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern. 
Uh, so this is going to be it for the Arkham Menard series. Uh, it's going to be a big night. Well, and it is, as exciting as the uh, points battle has been all year between Ty Gibbs and Corey Himes, uh, something coming out of Salem um, with that uh, race along with the Arkham Menard's uh, Sioux Chief Showdown, we saw that I believe Ty Gibbs just has to start that race uh, in order to be champion. He now has a 34-point lead over Corey Heim. So the, the little bit of that excitement has worn off, but it has been a great battle throughout the year until the uh, final two or three races here that Ty Gibbs was able to extend his lead. Yes, uh, Corey Heim has been pretty much in step with him all season long. Uh, but I'll tell you what, Ty Gibbs has, has just had an incredible season. 19 races, he's got 18 top fives, 10 victories, 10 pole awards, a 2.0 average starting position, and a 3.1 average finishing position. That is just incredible. It, it is. And I know we talk about the Sioux Chief showdown with that uh, p- him picking up the championship there. In years past, we've seen some short track, short track drivers, younger drivers, be able to make a run at that championship, but not the main one. In this case, Ty Gibbs this year eligible for both, and you mentioned it, just the phenomenal season he has had, able to take home both and uh, sweep both of them here. Again, all he's got to do is start this next week. Yeah, when you look at it, Ty Gibbs led out of the 2,515 laps, he led 1,590 of those laps. Uh, again, just a remarkable stat. Corey Himes' stats are really good. It's not that he has bad stats. Yeah, uh, all 19 races, he had at least a top 10 finish. 15 of those were top five finishes. He did have six victories uh, and three pole awards. Uh, his average start is 3.7. His average finish exactly the same as Ty Gibbs at 3.1. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it's just Ty Gibbs was just that much better. Uh, but Corey Heim has nothing to hang his head about. He had some amazing stats as well. You're right there, exactly. Uh, you know, his, his stat line alone, you look at a, a six wins on the year, 19 top 10s, uh, nothing that, nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, Ty Gibbs, just that little bit notch better. Uh, we talked about that of the, the back and forth. I think it wasn't until here in these final few races uh, that there was even a more than a double-digit point lead. It had been a single-digit mm-hmm. point lead back and forth between the two of them throughout the year. Yeah, they, it really has been an amazing season for both of those drivers. Uh, Kansas is going to be uh, an exciting race. And we've seen lately uh, that some of these other drivers can win these races. <laughs> Ty Gibbs led the most laps uh, in the most recent race, but it was Jesse Love, the defending champion from the Arkham Menard Series West, that came home with the victory. And we've seen that throughout the year. Again, uh, 16 out of the 18 races. Uh, Jesse Love being one of them now, as well as uh, Daniel Dye that picked up the other for the main Arkham Menard series wins when they joined in. So it can be done, but uh, those two, Corey Heim and Ty Gibbs, made it extremely tough. 
But that's also one of those then, if you're finishing second or third behind them, you know where you're at uh, right there with them. You know, just need that next little step and edge. Exactly. Okay, I know we're a little bit early, uh, but I do want to kind of move on here to the Arkham Menard Series West uh, because unlike the Arkham Menard Series, where there's basically two drivers uh, that have been leading the way all season long, in this series we have quite a few drivers uh, that have really been, I, I believe all of the top ten have raced all of the races, uh, so this is going to be a very tight West Series title battle uh, as the, they race this next-to-last race before their season finale at Phoenix. Uh, so they'll be racing at All-American Speedway this weekend, uh, the Napa Auto Care 150 presented by Burko Redwood, uh, and that will take place Saturday, October the 9th. At 6.45 p.m. Pacific time, that's 9.45 p.m. Eastern time. It will be live streamed on Track Pass for NBC Gold uh, members. And then if you want to listen to the radio, you can also listen at ARCARacing.com. So they also have their um, Race Central where you can get live track updates as well. Uh, the track layout is a .333 mile paved oval They'll be racing uh, uh, 49.95 miles or over 150 laps. Now, the garage will open at 10 a.m., practice and qualifying at 1.15 p.m. local time, and the race again at 6.45 p.m. local time, and uh, that would be 9.45 p.m. Eastern. So uh, this, is a, this is a popular track in the West. Uh, a lot of fans, a lot of drivers uh, want to win at All-American Speedway. So uh, this is going to be uh, a great place for short track racing on a Saturday night. It is. You mentioned it, a tight West Series title battle as they reach the All-American for the season penultimate uh, race. It's in Roseville. It just sounds like the perfect place for Saturday night short track racing for the Arkham Menard Series West. Uh, this October event for or at All-American Speedway, which is located in Placer County, California, uh, with the Sacramento metropolitan area, has become a tradition on the West Series schedule. In 2021, the Napa Auto Care 150, presented by Burko Redwood, now serves at that, as that uh, race of the West Series season. And that means the stakes are high as ever on that third mile paved oval. The top five drivers in the West Series Championship standings are only separated by 15 points now with those two events remaining. So, Sharon, you mentioned it. The top 10 all made run all races. 15 points for those top five. We've talked about that being a points lead for the points leader. Here it's uh, covering the top five. 
Exactly. Now, Saturday night's race at All-American is all about the West Series championship battle, especially in the wake of the race at the Bullring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway just a couple of weeks ago. Points leader, and I mentioned it earlier, Jesse Love, the defending West Series champion, suffered a major slip in the standings with a 13-place finish at Vegas. The 16-year-old driver of the number 16 Napa Auto Parts Toyota for Bill McAnally Racing now has just a seven-point lead over second-place driver Jake Drew in the point standings. Uh, actually, the race that he won was in the Arca Menard Series. So this uh, this was a uh, 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 poll that he dug, if you will, uh, extending the points uh, battle uh, between him and 16-year-old uh, the driver of the number 16 Napa Auto Parts Toyota for Belknap and Mally Racing now just has a seven-point lead over second place Jake Drew in the point standings. Drew, meanwhile, has his own seven-point cushion over third-place driver Cole Moore, loves BMR teammate, and Joy East and P.J. Pedroncelli are tied for just one point behind Moore and 15 points back from the leader, Love. Love and Moore on Saturday night might benefit from a familiarity advantage for their team as All-American is BMR's home facility. Now, the team's race shop is located just a few miles away, and BMR has won nine of 17 West Series events in Roseville since 2008. That's not good news for a competition, Jay. Uh, it's certainly not. Uh, those are some impressive stats there by BMR. Now, one of those wins came last season when then-BMR driver Gio Scalzi nudged Taylor Gray out of his way on the final lap for the win. So we could see that bump-and-bang action here as it comes down to it. Now, Gray is in the field at All-American again this season, carrying the momentum of two consecutive West Series wins at the Bullring and at Portland International Raceway last month. And he'll look to make up for last year's missed opportunity in Roseville, where he would have picked up his first win if not for that last lap incident. Now, both Sunrise Ford racing drivers, uh, Drew, uh, Jake Drew and Trevor Huddleston, are entered at All-American as well. Now, the former will look to draw closer to love in the season-long title battle. Huddleston ranks six in the points, and he's going to look to make his own strides in the standings. All of the above figure to be competitive at All-American, as is the case for Dean Thompson, Todd Souza, Bridget Burgess, and Takuma Koga, West Series regulars who have shown impressive speed all season long. Now, the entry list for Saturday night's Napa Auto Care 150 also includes several part-time driver entries in Joe Lynn Wilkinson, Amber Slagle, Josh Phanopoulos, Christian Rose, and more. So we'll go over that complete entry list now. Uh, Jay, if you want to go ahead and start from the bottom up. All right, in the number 08 right now, it's a Mike Holler and entered Ford. We don't have a driver uh, announced yet, but Jeremy Cleaver, the crew chief for the Kite Ida- Cart Idaho Mitchell Industrial Park, 
And then we got the championship contender mentioned, Cole Moore in the number 99 for McAnally uh, Toyota, Mario Izola, the crew chief in that Napa Power Premium Plus, with Cole coming out of Orange Lave, California. Okay, from Brisbane, Australia, Bridget Burgess will be behind the wheel of the number 88 HMH Construction Chevrolet with Sarah Burgess, uh, the team owner, on top of the pit box. Also, Derek Copeland will be on top of the pit box for Brian Kamiski in his uh, team-owned number 80 SK Construction Wards Concrete. Uh, Toyota, and they are from Cottonwood, California. Coming out of Eagle, Idaho, that's Travis Milborn. He'll be in the number 78 Ford, owned by Jack Wood. Crew chief hasn't been announced yet for that cart, Idaho. Quick quack car wash. And then Dave McKenzie, he'll be calling the shots for the Joe Nava Toyota, number 77. And that's the driver, Caleb Costner, out of Dallas, North Carolina, in the Jams Thin Blue Wine Cellars Thin Blue Line uh, Foundation. Okay, and a familiar name on the list here is Joey East from Madera, California. He'll be behind the wheel of the number 54, AG Center 59 Basilla Ranch Ford. Uh, for Mike Naki, and uh, that's who's going to be his crew chief on top of the pit box as well. Uh, also in the number 51, another familiar name uh, is, uh, hold on, I lost my place here all of a sudden, Dean Thompson from Arlington, Texas, uh, for the Thompson Pipe Group Board. Now, that he'll be in the uh, Bruncati Sunrise Board with Travis Thurkettle, as his crew chief. And we've been all across the states coming out of Martinsburg, West Virginia. Christian Rose will be in the number 42 Bruce Cook, Bruce Cook Toyota. Evan Bertone, the crew chief on the Visit Virginia Visit West Virginia Tourism Machine. And then the number 38, back from California, Thousands Oaks, California driver Stafford Smith. Uh, and number 38 Ford, another Mike Hollerman Ford, this one being crew chief by Mike himself for the CART Idaho Mitchell Industrial Park. Okay, uh, next up are uh, a couple of drivers uh, with the same last name. And the number 33 is PJ Pedrincelli from Sonoma, California. He'll be behind the wheel of the Select Mobile Bottlers Toyota uh, and Ty Joyner is his crew chief. Crew chief for the other Pedram Selly car is Rod Nealon, uh, and he will be driving the number, Paul Pedram Selly will be driving the number 31 Pedram Selly Mobile Bottling Chevrolet, again from Sonoma, California. Well, we mentioned Phoenix, Arizona a couple times for the championship. Driver Bobby Hillis hails from there. Uh, in his own Chevrolet, the number 27, Ed Ash will be the crew chief for the First Impression Press VD Projects Auto. And then the number 21, John Wood Machine, that'll be another one out of Eagle, Idaho, Josh Monopolis in the Stoney's Rocky, Rock and Roadhouse Idaho Certified Services Ford with Dennis Wirtz as his crew chief. 
Okay. The next two drivers are driving the same number on their car, but a little bit different because Amber Slagle will be behind the wheel of the 17W uh, SunWest Construction MMI Chevrolet. She hails from Sylvan Lake, Michigan. Sam Samuels, or Sean Samuels, will be the crew chief uh, for Amber Slagle. Also driving the 17 is Taylor Gray from Mooresville, North Carolina. He'll be behind the wheel of the Ford Performance Ford for David Gilliland Racing, and Chad Johnson will be his crew chief. Well, we talked about the team being sharp, and it's crew chief by Travis Sharp. And that's your championship points leader, Jesse Love, in the number 16 Bill McAnally Toyota, sponsored by Napa Auto Parts. Jesse coming from Redwood City, California. And then from Aromas, California, you got the number 13 Toyota, Kelly Souza owned, Todd Souza driven, uh, Central Coast Cabinets Machines. Uh, crew chief there is Michael Munoz. Okay. Also. Uh, in the number 11 is Chris Loudon from Las Vegas, Nevada. He'll be driving the Stoney's Rockin' Country Las Vegas Ford for John Wood. Tony Jackson is on top of the pit box. On top of the pit box for the number nine car will be Jeff Schrader. Uh, and driving that number nine will be Jake Drew from Fullerton, California. He'll be driving the Sunrise Ford Lucas Oil Offset Sport. Zillow USA Ford for Sunrise Ford. Some more international flavor there with the Yamada Info Technos Toyota. Jerry Pitts owned and crew chief. Driver comes out of Nagoya, Japan, and that's Takuma Koga in the number seven. And the last of the Brumcotti cars there, the number six, Sunrise Ford Lucas Oil Haas Development Caraclean. That is Trevor Huddleston out of Agurga Hills, California. Bill Sedwick, Bill Sedwick as the crew chief. Okay, and our last driver is Jolyn Wilkinson from Hueytown, Alabama. That's your neck of the woods, uh, uh, Jay. Uh, Jolyn will be driving the number one Instacult Premium Products Toyota for Bill McAnally and John Cal- Camilleri. With his is her crew chief. That's right, Jojo Wilkinson, uh, next generation of the uh, Hewitown, Alabama gang. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so uh, uh, there's a lot uh, going on here at this race. Let's uh, we've kind of covered the points, but let's uh, cover the points one last time here for the Arkham Menard Series West. Uh, because it is a very tight, I think we mentioned earlier, just 15 points uh, separating the top five drivers, and uh, it's going to be an exciting race at All-American Speedway. Yeah, you're right. Jesse Love does have that seven-point advantage right now uh, actually trimmed down. We saw him starting to stretch it out. He had picked up uh, two victories four top fives, five top tens out of the seven races, um, but now down to seven points over Jake Drew. Again, very similar stat lines, four top fives, six top tens, just doesn't have the victories as of yet. And Cole Moore, minus 14, 
mentioned Joey East and Paul Pedronicilli Jr. tied for 15 back in the fourth and fifth spot. Spot, excuse me. Uh, Trevor Huddleston in the number six is in the sixth spot. He's got one top five, six top tens. That puts him 23 points back. Todd Souza, uh, almost the same stat line, 33 points back. Takuma Koga, one top five, only three top tens, is still in there at 53 back. Bridget Burgess at 60, minus 69. And then Bobby Hillis Jr. at minus 70. Well, there is still a couple of major spoilers, though, coming through that. Mentioned uh, Paul Pedronicilli, uh, Dean Thompson, and Taylor Gray, 14th in points, three starts, two wins, two top fives, and three top tens. Uh, he can be a big spoiler here in these final couple of races. And that's just it. Uh, that's what you should be watching for in these next races. Plus, there's some local drivers that are entered uh, that could be spoilers as well. Uh, it, this has been a fun one to watch because you've got more players that are involved in the outcome of the races. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, catching this one and seeing what happens before they get to Phoenix. This is the last chance we have uh, to see how the points shape up before that season finale at Phoenix. Uh, certainly could be. I mean, we could see an all-out brawl there at Phoenix when it comes down to it. We'll have to see how this one plays out first, see if Jesse Love can try and uh, pad that cushion a little bit, or possibly Jake Drew even overtake him. If not, you mentioned Cole Moore, another one with experience at All-American uh, Speedway, uh, really could play spoiler and close it into a, a three-car, four-car battle along with Joey East. Yes. Now, if you want to mark your calendar for the season finale, let me just mention that that race will take place at Phoenix Raceway on Saturday, November the 6th. That will be the Phoenix 100. It's a one-mile paved trioval in Alvindale, Arizona. It will start at noon Mountain Time. That's 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, It's a one-mile track, so 100 laps covers the 100 miles uh, at Phoenix Raceway. NBCSN will have a delayed broadcast on Thursday, November the 11th at 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the live stream of the race will be on track past NBC Sports Gold Live, as well as the radio channels MRN and Sirius XM channel 391 and online channel 981. So, uh, again, just giving you uh, kind of a preview of that season finale uh, so that you can kind of plan uh, to be available to uh, watch that season finale for the Arkham Menard Series West. And, again, this is a big stage for them. Uh, All-American is a staple on the West. We talked about Salem being a staple race in the East. Well, this is a staple race on the west side at uh, All-American Speedway. As we mentioned, it's close to where Bill McAnally uh, Racing is located. Uh, They are big supporters of All-American Speedway. I would look for the McAnally cars to be very strong this weekend at All-American. Do you have a a favorite for this weekend, Jay? You know, I kind of do favor that, and I think Trevor Huddleston to me is one that kind of stands out uh, he's a little bit further back in points, but real there too, again, if he can capitalize on that gr- good run, picking up the victory, 
really making it the top five, six, seven battle uh, going into that final at Phoenix. So I think that'd be interesting. That would be interesting. Trevor Trevor hasn't had the season that we're used to seeing him have. He's still what sixth in the series point standing. Uh, he certainly could be one of the spoilers this weekend. But I kind of think Jake Drew is going to be kind of a man on a mission this weekend uh, at All-American Speedway. Uh, And I look for him to give people a run for their money this weekend as well. Yeah, uh, again, so interesting. I know Jesse Love, like I said, we thought he was starting to stretch it out, going to run away with it. 13th place finish, not a bad finish by any means, but that just shows how tight these this series, the West Series, I think has been the closest one uh, through all 10, top 10 drivers mentioned that have made all the starts uh, versus some of the other we've seen get a little more spread out. Exactly. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move over now to the um, Camping World Truck Series. Uh, they are not racing this weekend, but we will give you a few updates there. Uh, their, their next race is actually going to be at Martinsville on Saturday, October the 30th. Uh, and uh, yeah, that is the United Rentals 200. And they'll race uh, 1 o'clock that Saturday uh, with coverage on Fox Sports 1 at 12 p.m. Eastern, radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM Channel 90. We'll get into more details of the race uh, when we do the preview, but we do have a few updates here that we can cover uh, for tonight. Well, believe it or not, the first-time winners are a trend in the Camping World Truck Series. As Young Motorsports, Tate Fogelman was the fifth different first-time winner this season in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series with his surprising win last weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. Now, he joined Martin Truex Jr., on the Bristol Dirt, Truex obviously a, a veteran driver, but first win in the Truck Series. Uh, Ryan Priest picking up one at Nashville, and then we had Chandler Smith at Bristol on the asphalt, and Christian Eckes at Las Vegas. Now, with Fogelman's victory, the 2021 season becomes the third consecutive season and 14th overall, uh, going back from 1995 to the present, that the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series has produced five or more first-time winners in a single season. Every season since the inception of the series in 1995, it has produced at least one first-time winner. The 2012 season holds the Camping World uh, Truck Series record for the most first-time winners in the single season. That was at nine. That's a, that's a high number there. Now, as we focus on Martinsville, Whoa, scrolled too far down. Uh, Martinsville Speedway has been home to 11 different first-time winners in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Uh, The most recent was Todd Gillen's win in 2019. So look back at some of them. Uh, 2019 mentioned Todd Gillen. In 2017 in the October race there, it was Noah Gregson. I was there for that one. Uh, Joey Logano in uh, March of uh, 2015. Bubba Wallace in the October race in 2013. Denny Hamlin in 2011, the fall race. Timothy Peters got his first victory there in the fall of 2009. 
2005 in April at that time was uh, Bobby Labonte. October of 2005 was Ricky Craven. In 2004 in October, it was Jamie McMurray. In 2001, Scott Riggs in the April race. And then April of 2000, it was our dear uh, Bobby Hamilton. There's some some great names there. I love these uh, throwback uh, sessions we do. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Okay, we'll also look at uh, some clinch scenarios. It's pretty wide open for the championship four round with non-playoff drivers taking the first two races of the NASCAR's round of eight. The race for the championship four round is wide open, and all eight drivers still have a shot at the coveted four spots. No drivers have actually clinched a spot in the four-driver fields of the next round. Uh, so they can clinch via points if there is a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round. The following drivers could clinch by being ahead of the fifth winless driver in the standings. The same point requirements listed would hold true if a new win comes from among John Hunter Nemechek, Ben Rhodes, Matt Crafton, or Sheldon Creed. So John Hunter Nemechek can clinch with 20 points. Ben Rhodes with 21 points. Matt Crafton needs 46 points. Sheldon Creed needs 51 points. Stuart Friesen, Chandler Smith, Carson Hosevar, Zane Smith can only clinch with some help. But if there's a new winner from Stuart Friesen or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round, The following drivers can clinch by being ahead of the fourth winless driver in the standings. So in that scenario, John Hunter Nemechek needs 25 points, Ben Rhodes 26 points, Matt Crafton 51 points, Sheldon Creed needs, uh, he can only clinch with some help. Also Stuart Friesen, Chandler Smith, Carson Hosfar, and Zane Smith can only clinch with help. Uh, so all eight drivers would clinch on their win alone this weekend. So the eight drivers are John Hunter Nemechek, Ben Rhodes, Matt Crafton, Sheldon Creed, Stuart Friesen, Chandler Smith, Carson Hosefar, and Zane Smith. So they all can clinch with that victory. That's the, that's the goal, I think, for all of these drivers. So looking at following Talladega Super Speedway, you got John Hunter Nemechek in the lead with 3,105 points, uh, and he has 50 playoff points that are putting him in that spot with 11 race win, uh, stage wins and five race wins. Ben Rhodes is just one point behind uh, Nemechek in second place. He's got the two race wins, two stage wins for 30, I'm sorry, 19 playoff points. And he's 35 points away from the cut line. That means John Hunter Nemechek is just 36 points above the cut line. Uh, So it's tight. Matt Crafton is in third place. He's at 3,079 points. He has no wins yet, but he does have uh, four playoff points. Uh, That's interesting. Uh, He's just 10 points above the cut line. 
five points above the cut line is last year's defending winner, Sheldon Creed, at 3,074 points. He's just five points behind Crafton. He has the three race wins, seven stage wins that give him 26 playoff points. Uh, these are the drivers, the four drivers that are right now above that cut line. The drivers that are below the cut line include fifth place Stuart Friesen at 3,069 points. He has no wins, no stage wins. He has one playoff point, and he's just five points below that cut line. Next is Chandler Smith, one of the two rookies in the uh, round of eight. He's at 3,040 points. He has the one race win, one stage win, giving him six playoff points. He's 34 points below the cut line. And just three points behind him is Carson Hosevar, the other rookie. He's at 3,037 points. No wins, no stage wins, but he does have two playoff points. Again, he's just 37 points below. 40 points cut line is Zane Smith. At 3,034 points, he's just three points behind Carson Hosevar. So that's very tight among those three, three drivers. He has no wins. He has three stage wins, giving him nine playoff points. Uh, the two drivers that have already been eliminated are Todd Gilliland in ninth and Austin Hill in tenth place. So uh, that gives you an idea of just how tight this battle is. Uh, between these eight drivers and we saw it in the last race at Talladega uh, where it was constantly changing who is above and who is below the cut line. I've got a feeling we're going to see that at Martinsville quite a bit too, Jay. Well, we talk about Talladega being a wild card. That's a high speed wild card. Martinsville is a short track wild card and none of the drivers being locked in, even John Hunter Nemechek and Ben Rhodes, 36 and 35 points up. Uh, depending on their stage runs, you'd assume they'd pick up stage points and, and secure a better spot to go into the finish. But if not, I mean, they can be in danger of actually falling out because we have nobody locked in. That is very unusual uh, heading into that yeah, final round. It really is because this is going to be an elimination race. So four drivers are not going to be happy when they leave uh, from, uh, from uh, what am I trying to say? When they leave from uh, Martinsville. Thank you. I knew, but it wasn't coming out. Well, and when we talk about that, uh, again, a very important playoff race here of Martinsville Speedway. After I mentioned a wild NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race at Talladega Super Speedway, Last weekend, which granted Tate Fogelman his first career victory, the series has three weekends to regroup uh, heading into Martinsville Speedway for that final cutoff round or uh, round of eight to decide who advances to the championship round of four. Uh, with the first two races of the Camping World Truck Series playoffs round of eight being won by non-playoff drivers, mentioned Christian Eckes at uh, Las Vegas, and then Tate Fogelman at Talladega, none of those eight postseason contenders are secured a spot in the championship four round as of yet, which is the second time. I didn't didn't even know if it had ever happened. Second time since the inception of the playoffs in this series in 2016 
that none of the championship four drivers are locked in heading into this round of eight elimination race, and that was in 2019. Now, Martinsville Speedway has participated in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series since its inception into this series in 2016. It has occupied three different spots on the postseason schedule. From 2016 to 18, Martinsville hosted the fourth race of the playoffs. In 2019, it hosted the fifth race. And then last season, it hosted that sixth race of the playoffs, which is the same event as it is this year, that sixth uh, spot. For the 2021 season, marks just the second time that Martinsville Speedway has hosted this uh, round elimination race in the Camping World Truck Series last year and this year. Uh, it's the second track to host the round of eight elimination race in the playoffs, joining Phoenix Raceway, which was that spot from 2016 to 2019, before becoming the championship deciding race. Now, the sixth race in this NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoffs has produced five different winners in as many races from 2016 to 2020. Only once has a non-playoff driver won this sixth race in the seven-race NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoffs, and that uh, distinction goes to Daniel Suarez back in 2016, who had elected to run for the title in the NASCAR Xfinity Series that season. The last four winners of the sixth race of the Truck Series playoffs catapulted them into the championship uh, for a round. When we look at 2020, uh, that was Grant, Ens- Grant Enfinger uh, last year picking up that victory, uh, race number 22. And then when we went to Phoenix in 2019, it was Stuart Friesen picked up the win to get his way in. Brett Moffitt raced his way in in 2018 at Phoenix. Johnny Sauter in 2017. Then I mentioned Daniel Suarez, but he wasn't a playoff driver that year. Now, the five playoff races that Martinsville has hosted has produced four different winners, and that's led by Thor Sports' uh, Johnny Sauter, who has two postseason victories at the half-mile track. He did it in 2016-18. Some of these are the same. mentioned uh, Grant Enfinger uh, last year, October of 2020. Todd Gillen picked up the victory in 2019 when it was race number 21. In 2018, that was when it was uh, race number 20 on the schedule. There it was Johnny Sauter in 2017, Noah Gregson. And then in 2016, it was also Johnny Sauter. Of the playoff contenders this season, uh, Halmar Friesen's racing Stuart Friesen is the only former series winner that has won the sixth race in the playoffs to clinch his spot in the championship for a round. He accomplished that in 2019 with the win at Phoenix. The winner of the sixth race in the Camping World Truck Series playoffs has gone on to win the title in the same season only once. That uh, award goes to Brett Moffitt when he accomplished the feat in 2018. Moffitt won at Phoenix Raceway, Uh, in that event, and then went on again to win in Homestead, Miami, for the championship finale to secure his title. The winner of the Martinsville Speed Race and the Camping World Truck Series playoffs uh, has gone on to win the title in the same season only once as well. This one is Johnny Sauter in 2016, where he won at Martinsville, then the fourth race in this postseason, but went on to win the championship later that season. 
Now this year, Martinsville Speedway, the Camping World Truck Series playoff race, mentioned there'll be 200 laps, 105.2 miles, broken up into three stages. The first two stages will be 50 laps, and the final stage will be 100 laps. And again, got to take a look at this Thor Sports Racing Grant Enfinger, the defending winner of this event. I'm sure he would love to pick up a victory here before moving on next year and showing that he should have been a championship contender. Oh, I would agree with you. I'm happy uh, to hear, though, that he will be racing full-time with DMS Racing next season, and uh, we've got a lot to look forward to there. Um, so with that, uh, Jay, we've got uh, a few minutes here. Uh, do you want to give a quick update on our fantasy group before we move on to the Xfinity Series? All right. I know we, uh, no, we don't have Monday, a... But for those who maybe missed it on Monday, we'll repeat it here. All right. For the truck series. Ooh, I got to delete that one. That one's wrong. Um, truck series. Mike is now the points leader by two points. He's got 101 points. Andy and myself are at 99. Sharon at 98. Sam at 92. Owen at 75. Tommy at 70. And James at 66. So we got our own tight battle going on there. Affinity Series, uh, close as well. There I got a four-point lead sitting at 130. Andy at 126. Sam is at 117. Mike, 105. Sharon at 99. Tommy at 93. James and Owen tied at 89. I think that one's our closest from top to bottom all the way across. On the cup side, Owen's starting to trying to stretch out a lead. He's got 175 points. I'm second at 163. Sharon right behind me at 159. Sam 154. Mike 150. We got James at 131. Uh, Tommy 125, and Andy at 82. I think Andy uh, has definitely been uh, real close to being eliminated on that one. I think. On the overall, that is still actually open. Uh, a little more than 100 points from top to bottom. I'm at 392. Sam's at 363. Sharon, 356, along with Mike at 356. Owen at 339. Andy, 307. And then Tommy at 288. And James at 286. So, And what do we got? Three, four, eight. Nine races left, I think, uh, total. I, I, my other sheet's downstairs. I had the numbers as to who had been eliminated. It's only been one or two that uh, have been fully eliminated from any of the series so far. So been a real exciting year for our fantasy group. It has been. It's been uh, pretty tight all season long uh, with some changes up and down. So uh, a lot can still happen, I suppose, and we'll have to kind of wait and see how this plays out. But uh, we appreciate you taking the time to uh, uh, take care of this for us uh, all season long. You always do a great job. And uh, we've done this, what, for about three or four years now. Yeah, I think we're coming up on the the fourth year. I know the first year it was just kind of me and you, and then Andy joined. We had three. Uh, Sal did it one year. I think we had four. And then it just blew up with the team we have this year and everybody participating uh, has been just absolutely exciting. And I love doing it. Well, we appreciate you for that. 
Okay, we are now going to move on to the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Uh, they will be driving this weekend in the Drive for the Cure 250 presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval, the road course. Uh, that race will take place Saturday, October the 9th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with pre-race coverage on NBC Network. Radio coverage will be on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 155.44 miles over 67 laps. The first two stages are 20 laps each. So stage one ends on lap 20, stage two on lap 40. The final stage ends on lap 67, making that a 27-lap segment. Uh, so what do we have for the Xfinity Series here, Jay? Well, we mentioned we got one race remaining for this round of eight. And believe it or not, the playoff standings got shaken up a little bit after last weekend's wild race at Talladega Super Speedway. Now, mm-hmm. team, uh, team Penske's Austin Sindrick did manage to clinch a spot in the Xfinity Series playoffs round of eight based on points after an eighth-place finish last weekend at Talladega. Justin Algar and Daniel Hemrick, they jumped up to st- in the standings to second and third, respectively, while it was A.J. Allmendinger, unfortunately, that dropped to fourth in the standings after an incident at Tal- Talladega relegated him to a 39th-place finish. And Justin Haley and Brandon Brown moved up in the standings as well with their top five... Uh, That can't be right. Top five finishes. Uh, Noah Gregson and Harrison Burton are in seventh and eighth positions in the standings post-Talladega. Harrison Burton is just eight points above the cut line, while Jeb Burton is eight points below uh, the round of eight cut line. Myatt Schneider, Riley Herbst, and Jeremy Clements are all in must-win situations at the Charlotte Road Course, the Roval. Now, Algar and Hemrick have a pretty good uh, – yeah, I thought I, I thought I read that wrong. I want to correct that. It's Justin Haley and Brandon Jones. It says Brandon Brown, but he wasn't in the playoffs. He got the victory. That's why I was confused. Mm-hmm. It should have been Brandon, Brandon Jones that moved up. Um, so when we take a look at it, Algar and Hemrick have a pretty good points cushion, but nothing's guaranteed for them to make it into that next round. Mentioned Austin Sindrick did clinch in on points. Uh, So his five wins, nine stage wins for 44 playoff points helped him out. Uh, Justin Algar right now is 55 points above the cut line, and Daniel Hemrick 41. Mentioned that being a pretty good position. A.J. Allmendinger, uh, his 10 or four wins and 10 stage wins gave him 45 playoff points built up, but he's only 33 points above the cut line right now. That's in that marginal area of can be overcome. Fifth place, there you got Justin Haley is 24 to the good. Mentioned Brandon Jones, uh, 21 to the good. Seventh place is Noah Gregson, 18 points up. Getting a little dangerous here. Uh, Harrison Burton is the cut line right now in eighth place, eight points to the good. Cousin Jeb Burton, that's below the line at minus eight. Myatt Schneider, Riley Herbst, and Jeremy Clements at minus 24, minus 32, and minus 48. Mathematically, maybe not a half to win, 
but 30-some points to make up uh, over at least one driver, if not three, uh, that's, a, that's a big hill to climb, especially at Martinsville. Yes, indeed. Okay, next we'll kind of uh, uh, scout the 2021 playoff drivers at the road course in Charlotte. We are one race away from the start of the Xfinity Series playoff round of eight. And this weekend, 11 drivers are still fighting for their spot in the eight-driver field to compete uh, on the Charlotte Roval. Now, two non-playoff drivers, Josh Berry and Brandon Brown, took home the victories in the first two races of the round of 12, leaving all but Austin Sindrick, who is clinched in on points, looking for their way in. Now, we're going to take a look at the playoff drivers' past performances at the Charlotte Road Course. So we'll start from the bottom up. I'll take the first two, and then you can go next, Jay. Uh, we'll start with Jeremy Clements, the driver of the number 51, Jeremy Clements Racing Chevrolet, has made three starts at the Roval. His best finish of 11th came in 2019 after starting eighth. Last year, he started 18th and finished 16th. He has an average start of 15.0 and an average finish of exactly the same, 15.0. Riley Earps, the driver of the number 98 Stuart Haas Racing Ford, is making his second series start at the Charlotte Road Course. And last season, his series track was his series track debut. He started 13th. He finished 12th for Joe Gibbs Racing. He led seven laps and completed all 68 laps of the race. Next up, we got Justin Haley. He's the driver of the number 11, Colleg Racing Chevrolet. He'll be making his third start at the Roval this weekend. Now, Haley has struggled at this track specifically with finishes of 31st in 2019 and 35th in 2020 in the previous two starts. Last season, it was involved in, he was involved in a crash and only completed 34 of the 68 laps. His average start is good at 5.5. The average finish at 33.0 is not going to get it done. Brandon Jones is driver of the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He'll be making his fourth start at the Charlotte Road Course this weekend. In three starts, he has one top 10 finish that came last season. He started fourth and finished 10th. The average start is 13.7. Average finish of 16.0. Okay, next up we have Myatt Snyder, the driver of the number two RCR Chevrolet, has made one start at the Charlotte Road Course, and it was last season. He started 31st and finished 14th, completing all 68 laps. Harrison Burton, the driver of the number 20 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, is making his third start on Saturday at the Roval, and his first start was in 2019 when he started 22nd and finished 13th. Last year, he started 9th but had a transmission issue that forced him to finish 33rd. He completed only 37 of the 68 laps last year. Moving up, we got Daniel Hemrick. He's in the number 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota to finish out the year. He'll be making his third start on Saturday at the road course. First start was in 2018 when he started second and finished 10th for Richard Childress Racing. In 2020, he was back again on the road course, this time for Junior Motorsports. 
and this time has started, or this that time he started third and finished third. Uh, he's led four laps in his two starts and has an average start of 2.5, an average finish of 6.5, having completed all 123 laps attempted. Another one making their debut, that'll be Jeb Burton, driver of the number 10 college racing Chevrolet. He's going to make his Charlotte Motor Speedway road course debut Saturday. He never completed a lap, or competed on the 17-turn road course before. Next up, we have Noah Gregson. He's the driver of the number nine junior motorsports Chevrolet. He'll be making his third start at the Charlotte Rovo on Saturday. In his first start in 2019, he started 12th and he finished 5th. And last season, he started from the pole position and finished runner-up to A.J. Allmendinger. He led 16 laps in 2020 and has an average start of 6.5 with an average finish of 3.5. That's pretty impressive. Justin Algauer, the driver of the number seven junior motorsport Chevrolet, has competed in all three races on the Charlotte Road Course. He has one top five and one top ten to his name. His best finish came in 2019 after he started seventh and finished fourth. Last year, he started 10th and finished 23rd. Oldauer has an average start of 9.7, but his average finish at the track is 14 point. So uh, we'll see what he does this weekend. Well, you mentioned two of them here. We're going to talk about A.J. Allmendinger, driver of the number 16 college racing Chevrolet and the 2021 NASCAR Xfinity Series regular season champion. He'll be making his third start at the Charlotte Road Course on Saturday. His first two starts in 2019 and 2020, he won both races. In 2019, he started from the fifth position, and in 2020, he started from 22nd, but rallied to the front for the victory. He's led a total of 32 of the 135 laps completed. Then you got Austin Sindrick, driver of the number 22, Team Penske Ford, He'll be making his fourth start on the road course this weekend as well. In the inaugural race in 2018, Sindrick started from the pole and led the field to green. He's got two top fives and all three top tens in his three starts with uh, two third-place finishes in 2018 and 19. And last season, he finished sixth. He's led a total of 14 laps of the 190 completed. Okay, so... Uh, that's going to be pretty exciting to see what happens this week at the Charlotte Roval. Uh, let's talk about the clinch scenarios for the round of 12 finale. All right. With just that one race remaining in the NASCAR Xfinity Series round of 12 for the postseason contenders to guarantee that spot into the round of eight. With Josh Berry and Brandon Brown, again, both non-playoff drivers winning Las Vegas and Talladega, only Austin Sindrick clinched his spot on points. Uh, Seven spots still up for the taking then as the series heads to the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course this Saturday. Uh, Clinching via points this weekend, if there is a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, Drivers uh, can clinch by being ahead of the ninth winless driver in the standings. The same requirements would be true if a new win comes from among Austin Sindrick, Justin Algar, Daniel Hemrick, A.J. Allmendinger, Justin Haley, Brandon Jones, Noah Gregson, or Harrison Burton. 
Now, Algar would clinch uh, regardless of finish. Hemrick would need uh, 15 points. Almendinger, 23. Haley, 32. Brandon Jones would need 34 points. Noah Gregson, 38. Harrison Burton would need a lot of points. He needs 48 points. And then Jeb Burton, Myatt Schneider, Riley Herbst, and Jeremy Clements can all only clinch uh, with help. Now, if there's a new winner from Jeb Burton or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round, then the drivers would clinch uh, by being ahead of the eighth winless driver in the standings. Here, Algar would only need eight points, Daniel Hemrick, 23, and everybody else is pretty high. A.J. Allmendinger, 31, Justin Haley would need four, Brandon Jones, 42, Noah Gregson with 46. And that puts Harrison Burton on that list with Jeb Burton, Myatt Schneider, and Riley Herbst, who would need help in order to clinch. Now, with all the drivers being uh, still eligible, a win of their own locks them in and moves them on to that next round. And we talked about the stats that uh, affect that. Uh, that's the way to go if you can get it done. Absolutely. And all, all of them will be looking for that win uh, this weekend. Now, uh, I'm going to give you some facts and figures here about Charlotte Motor Speedway and the road course there. Saturday's Drive for the Cure 250 presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina uh, is just the fourth race run on the 17-turn 2.32-mile road course. The inaugural NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Charlotte uh, was run on September the 29th of 2018 and was won by Chase Briscoe. A.J. Allmendinger has won the last two races run on the road course, including starting from deep in the field in the 22nd spot last year. There have been two different pole winners and only two different race winners in the three events held. None of the three races have been won from the pole position. Now, last season's race had 38 cars in total. There were 14 lead changes and with six leaders, and there were 10 cautions for 24 laps and only 24 cars on the lead lap. There were 27 cars running at the finish, and Almondinger led only 12 laps en route to the victory. The margin of victory was 0.446 seconds. Now, Almondinger and Austin Sendrick are the two active drivers with the best numbers at road courses this season heading into this weekend. In six road course starts this year, Sendrick has one win, four top fives and five top tens, and has led 122 laps. Almondinger, on the other hand, has one pole, one win, five top fives, five top tens, and 56 laps led in the six road courses this year. Ty Gibbs is also noticeably good uh, on road course racing, grabbing his first career win in his first Xfinity Series start at the Daytona road course. He has one pole, two wins, three top fives, and three top tens in five road course races this year. He led 79 laps as well. Gibbs also runs a part-time schedule for Joe Gibbs Racing, and he's entered to run this weekend on the Charlotte Roval. So uh, he could be a bit of a spoiler this weekend. 
most certainly could be. We've seen that before. Now, we talked about some disappointing finishes from Talladega, but with that goes the thrill of victory. And Brandon Brown becomes a first-time winner. And Talladega Super Speedway is always known for its intense racing, wild wrecks, and unexpected winners. And Saturday's NASCAR Xfinity Series playoff race did not disappoint. And Brandon Brown is driver of his family-owned number 68, Brandon-built motorsport Chevrolet. Took home his first victory after rain and darkness loomed over the track. The win marked his first in 115 Xfinity Series races and his ninth top 10 finish in 2021. Since Brown isn't a part of the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoffs this season, that still allows the seven spots in the round of eight up for grabs. Mentioned Austin Sindrick did clinch uh, based on points uh, following Talladega Super Speedway. Brandon Jones, uh, runner-up, finished to Brandon Brown. Uh, he was the highest-finishing playoff driver. Justin Algar in the third spot, Daniel Hemrick fourth. And another good, feel-good story, Jordan Anderson finishing fifth, which is a career best for that driver-owner in the series. And we've been talking about it this weekend. The Xfinity Series heads to Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course for the Drive for the Cure 250 presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. It'll be Saturday, October 3rd, 3 p.m. Eastern. Coverage will be on NBC, PRN, and Sirius XM Radio. The race marks that cut off for the round of eight. And right now, Cindric, the only driver locked in. A lot of uh, battling going to go be going on for those remaining 11 drivers looking to make it into that next round with everything on the line. Giving an update here, the uh, Xfinity Series race determined its starting lineup already by the metric qualifying. So as a result, it'll be Team Penske's Austin Sindrick leading the field to green, with Junior Motorsports' Justin Algar joining him on the front row. Daniel Hemrick will start third, Josh Berry, Justin Haley, and Brandon, Brandon Jones occupying the first three rows. They will be going the 155.44 miles or 67 laps. Stage one will be end on lap 20, and stage two ending on lap 40. Okay, next up we have the NASCAR Cup Series uh, for the Bank of America Robo 400 at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course. That race will take place Sunday, October the 10th at 2 p.m. Eastern. NBC will carry live coverage, uh, pre-race coverage, at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Radio coverage will be on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 252.88 miles over 109 laps. The first two stages are 25 laps each, with stage one ending on lap 25, stage two on lap 50, and then the final stage will be 59 laps, ending on lap 109. So what do we have for the Cup Series here, Jay? Well, a little bit of off-track news from Trackhouse. Trackhouse Racing and Pitbull are going to donate collegiate scholarships. Uh, This week, Justin Marks, who's co-owner of Trackhouse Racing, announced a program with Pitbull's Slam Charter School in the Little Havana section of Miami, Florida, 
uh, that was designed to provide career skills and collegiate scholarships to less fortunate children. Trackhouse Racing will donate a primary paint scheme on its number 99 Chevrolet Camaro with driver Daniel Suarez, along with marketing elements on Pitbull's 2022 concert tour to SLAM. All money raised from the donations will be dedicated to the Students Collegiate Scholarship Fund. Trackhouse representatives have worked with SLAM uh, teachers and administrators on developing the fall curriculum where the students in the SLAM Marketing Academy are learning about the sport and business of NASCAR, including career and life skills. Student will research and identify prospective uh, corporations, build sales and marketing presentations, develop oral presentations, skill and teamwork. Trackhouse executives and the students will make the final presentations, again, with all the sponsorship funds earmarked for collegiate, uh, collegiate scholarships. Well, Marks announced Pitbull as a partner of Trackhouse Racing back in January, and the two have collaborated on an impactful youthful education program. That is so great. Uh, give you a little information here. SLAM is a nonprofit educational organization operating a public charter schools nationwide. And Grammy-winning international superstar, entrepreneur, and education advocate Armando Christian Perez, which is Pitbull's uh, name, opened that first SLAM school in Miami, Florida back in 2012. The SLAM network has since expanded to 12 tuition-free charter schools in Florida, Nevada, and Georgia. That is really awesome uh, what Pitbull is doing there So and Trackhouse Racing. So uh, I think, uh, you know, that's certainly uh, going to be fun to see this weekend. Um, now, Harvick... Uh, is going to be making his 750th cup start this weekend as well. Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick uh, will make that 750th start this weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway's road course. He becomes the 13th different driver in series history to make that many series starts. And his first start in the series was actually on February 26th of 2001 at Rockingham Speedway. In his previous 749 starts, he has posted 58 wins, 234 top fives, 410 top tens. And in his three career starts on the Roval, he's posted one top five and two top tens. So uh, congratulations to Kevin Harvick on making that 750th cup start. Well, I mentioned earlier I like kind of the throwback things we do. That one kind of actually made me feel old because I felt like it was just <laughs> yesterday, uh, you know, we had the passing of Dale Earnhardt and seeing Kevin Harvick come mm-hmm. in in that number 29 uh, and that battle, uh, the race he had at uh, Atlanta, uh, that was another one I was there for. Seems like yesterday, so <laughs> that one didn't do me no favors. Yep. Uh, now we go to go to the cup playoff dozen for the Roval. The playoff elimination races amp up the intensity. And this weekend at the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course is no different. Here's a quick look at the NASCAR Camping World Series playoffs round of 12 drivers at Charlotte Motor Speedway road course. I'm going in order of their, uh, whoops. We'll go from the bottom in up. In order. Okay. Oop, here we go. Okay, so going from yeah, the bottom up. Yeah, we can do this two by down. two. 
All right. Uh, I'll start with Alex Bowman. He's made three serious starts at the Charlotte Road Course, collecting two top fives and three top ten finishes. His average finish is 4.7. Pre-race driver rating is 87.8. William Byron has made three starts as well at the Charlotte Road Course, posting one top five and two top ten finishes. Average finish is 7.7. Pre-race driving over 100 at 102.3. Next up is Christopher Bell. He made his series track debut uh, at the Charlotte Roval last season, and he started 35th and finished 24th. Kevin Harvick, as we mentioned earlier, has three series starts at the Charlotte Road Course, putting up one top five and two top ten finishes. His average finish is 7.7, and his pre-race driver rating is 102.3, exactly the same as uh, William Byron. As I say, you almost threw me off my line there. I thought you were reading that one. (laughs) Uh, Kyle Busch, he's made three starts at the Charlotte Road Course, posting a best finish of... Wow, 30th in 2020. His average finish is 33.3, and pre-race driver rating is 78.8. I would not have realized that. Uh, Chase (laughs) Elliott, well, going from the the, the worst, if you will, to the best, uh, Chase Elliott made three starts at the road course, accumulating two wins in 2019 and 2020, two top fives and three top tens, average finished, 2.7, obviously best among playoff drivers. Pre-race driver rating is 124.5, which also leads the series. He also leads a series most 62 laps at the 2.32-mile track. And Uh, that is why Chase Elliott is the favorite going in. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) clearly. Uh, Okay, next Uh, up is... uh, Oh, I'm sorry, that was my two. I'm I'm sorry. I did. I did Kyle Busch. You're right. Go ahead. Okay. Ryan Blaney has made three starts at the Charlotte Road Course, putting up one win. That was in 2018. He also has two top fives and three top tens. His average finish is an impressive 4.7, and his pre-race driver rating is 100.4. He's also led 30 laps at the 2.32-mile track. Next up is Martin Truex Jr. He's made three starts at the Charlotte Road Course, posting two top ten finishes. His average finish is a 9.3. His pre-race driver rating is 103 even. And we get into Team Penske. you got Brad Keselowski made three starts at the road course. He's grabbed the one top ten finish. Average finish is 18.0. Pre-race driver rating is 95 He has led 39 laps at the 2.32-mile track. Joey Logano, on the other hand, three starts. He's collected one top five and three top tens. Average finish is 7.3. Pre-race driver rating is 98.1. Okay, the top two drivers are next. We'll start with Kyle Larson. He's made two starts on the Charlotte uh, Robo, putting up a best finish of 13. in 2019. His average finish is 19.0. His pre-race driver rating, however, is 110.1. That's second best among the playoff drivers. He's also led 52 laps, the second most, 
behind Chase Elliott's 62. Then there's Denny Hamlin. He's made three starts at the Charlotte Roval, posting a best finish of 12th in 2018. His average finish is 15.3, and his pre-race driver rating is incredibly 69.4. All right. Rolling up now. Get back up here. Uh, The playoff, playoff bubble, when we look at the Cup Series, uh, Bowman, Byron, and Bell, along with Harvick, are the ones facing elimination. It all comes down to this one last race for the drivers facing elimination this weekend in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. The playoff challengers below the round of eight cut line will have to showcase their best skills this weekend at the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course if they want to move on into the po- in the postseason. Saw a wild Talladega Super Speedway playoff race last weekend. Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick at minus 9. Joe Gibbs Racing's Christopher Bell is at minus 28. Hendrick Motorsports' William Byron at minus 44. And then uh, also HMS's Alex Bowman at minus 52 all find themselves below that playoffs round of eight cut line and have their work cut out for them this weekend at Charlotte. Go look at the top. Denny Hamlin uh, is in on wins, picking up the first victory again uh, this round. Locked himself in, didn't have to worry about Talladega or the Roval. Then you got Kyle Larson, 3,097 points. Took a bit of a hit. Uh, his 60 playoff points helped minimize that, but he's only 22 points on the good side of that line. Joey Logano is 21 up, only one point behind Larson. Brad Keselowski and Martin Truex are at 3,095. They're only two points behind, 20 to the good. Sixth place, Ryan Blaney. His 24 points uh, built up for playoff points leaves him 15 points to the good. And then we got another tie in seventh and eighth, Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch. So that's technically the cut line, Kyle Busch in eighth, uh, Chase Elliott having the advantage of a tiebreaker. They're at 3,084. Mentioned Kevin Harvick. He's uh, nine below the cut line. Christopher Bell, 28 back. William Byron, 44. And Alex Bowman at minus 52. Uh, again, those two, uh, William Byron, Alex Bowman, it's all but mathematically eliminated. Uh, it would take a miracle to not need the win. Mm-hmm. Okay, next up, uh, we're going to take a look at Chase Elliott's. Uh, he's the, the road course is his playground, uh, and the next up is the Roval. With the win this weekend, Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott could tie NASCAR Hall of Famer Tony Stewart for the second most road course wins all time in the NASCAR Cup Series with eight victories each. Now, Elliott enters this weekend at the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course, leading all active drivers in road course wins with seven, including two earlier this year at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, and Road America in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon leads the Cup Series in overall road course wins with nine victories. Sonoma, he has five. Watkins Glen, four. Followed by NASCAR Hall of Famer Tony Stewart in second with eight road course wins. At Watkins Glen, five. And Sonoma, three. 
Now, Chase Elliott is ranked in third with seven of his 13 career NASCAR Cup Series wins coming on road courses. He has two at Watkins Glen. He has two at the Charlotte Roval. He has one at the road course at Daytona and one at Road America and one at Circuit of the Americas. Looking to this weekend at the Charlotte Roval, Elliott is clearly the favorite. He leads all active drivers in road course wins at seven and wins at the Charlotte Road Course with two. In three starts at the Charlotte Road Course, Elliott's put up the two wins, two top fives and three top tens. His average finish is 2.667, the series best. Plus, he leads the series in every key pre-race loop data category, including average running position of 8.028, the series best driver rating of 124.5, again, the best, 49 fastest laps run, the best in the series, 278 laps in the top 15, that's 85%, the series most, and 111 quality passes, again, the series most. He's also led the most laps in the series at the track, collecting 62 laps out front. Elliott will start eighth this weekend in the Bank of America Roval 400. Next, we'll talk about the clinch scenarios. Well, with the exception of Denny Hamlin, we got a lot to cover there. Uh, the Bank of America Roval 400, the October 10th, 2 p.m. Mentioned coverage, NBC, PRN, and Sirius XM Radio, along with some Peacock streaming. We'll get to that in Hot Topics. Uh, that's the last chance for the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series playoff contenders to secure that spot into the round of eight. The only driver to have locked themselves into that is Denny Hamlin heading into this weekend, again, leaving 11 spots up for grabs. Now, starting with if there's a repeat winner or win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, drivers can clinch by being ahead of the eighth winless driver in the standings. Same requirements hold true if a new win comes from among Kyle Larson, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Martin Truex, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, or Kyle Busch. Starting with Kyle Larson, he would need 34 points. We talked about how close this is. Uh, Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski, they would need 35. Martin Truex, 36. Ryan Blaney, he's going to need a little more, 41 points. Chase Elliott and clinch with 47, as well as Kyle Busch. And then Kevin Harvick, Christopher Bell, William Byron, and Alex Bowman being below the line, they can only clinch with help. Now, if there's a new winner, from Kevin Harvick or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round, points go up a little bit as you have to be ahead of the seventh winless driver in the standings. That puts Larson at 41 points, then Logano at 42, Keselowski and Truex at 43, and Blaney 48, Chase Elliott 53, and Kyle Busch. Why would that change? Should still be Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch at 53. Uh, it says Chase Elliott 53, Kyle Busch 54. Then again, the one that doesn't pick up the win, Harvick, Bell, Byron, or Bowman, only with help. Any one of them picks up the victory for themselves. That automatically uh, advances them on and could really shuffle some things up when it comes to points. 
Okay, this next segment is pretty big. I'll try to get as much interviews in as I can. Um, so, again, this is a wild card race because it is the playoff round of 12 elimination race at the Charlotte Road Course. The intense NASCAR Cup Series playoffs rounds of 12 comes down to this weekend for the Bank of America Roval 400 elimination race. The 12 driver playoff field will cut to eight as four drivers title hopes will come to an end this weekend. Ever since the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course has joined the NASCAR Cup Series postseason in 2018, it's proven to be a wild card race with twists and turns that challenge the competitors along the multi-elevational 2.32-mile track. Construction began on this on Charlotte Motor Speedway in 1959, and the track's first Cup Series race was held in June 19th of 1960. That was won by Jolie Johnson in a Chevrolet, but it wasn't until 2017 that track underwent renovations to add what is now known as the Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course, the Roval. Uh, Again, it's 2.32 miles, 17 turns, uh, and a multi-elevational road course. The road course has hosted a total of three Cup Series playoff races, occupying two spots on the postseason schedule from 2018 and 19. The road course hosted the third race in the playoffs, and in 2020, the sixth race. This year marks just the second time the track has hosted the sixth race in the postseason. Now, the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course is the fourth different track to host the sixth race of the Cup Series playoffs from the 2004 to the present, joining Martinsville, who did it 2004 to 2010, Talladega in 2011, and again from 2013 to 16, and Kansas Speedway in 2012, and then from 2017 to 19. From 2018 to 19, the Charlotte Road Course has hosted the third race in the Cup Series playoffs. Ryan Blaney won the event in 2018. Chase Elliott won in 2019. A total of 10 different drivers have won the sixth race in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, led by Jimmy Johnson with four victories, all at Martinsville Speedway in 2004, 6, 7, and 8. Denny Hamlin leads all active drivers with three victories in 2009, and 2010 at Martinsville, 2019 at Kansas. In the sixth race of the Cup Series playoffs, now Chase Elliott leads all active drivers at the Charlotte Roval. Again, he has two wins in 2019 and 20. So um, let's see. I'm going to go. I'm going to go down here five times. The winner of the sixth race in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs has gone on to win the title later that season. Once at Kansas Speedway and three times at Martinsville and once at the Charlotte Roval. In 2006, Jimmy Johnson won at Martinsville, then the sixth race in the playoffs and went on to win his first, two, win his first Cup Series title later that season. Again, in 2007, Jimmy Johnson won at Martinsville. Again, the sixth race of the playoffs, and he went on to win his second consecutive Cup Series titles later that season. 2008, Jimmy Johnson again won at Martinsville. Again, the sixth race in the playoffs to win his third consecutive 
title in the Cup Series. 2017, it was Martin Truex Jr. winning at Kansas, the sixth race in the playoffs, and he went on again to win his title later that season. In 2020, Chase Elliott won at the Charlotte Road Course, again, the sixth race in the playoffs, and then went on to win the title. It was the first of his three wins during the 2021 postseason. The worst finish by a driver in the sixth playoff position, a playoff race that went on to win the series title was at Kansas Speedway in 2012, 17 to 19. Brad Keselowski in 2012, Joy Logano in 18, each finished eighth in the sixth race of the playoffs at Kansas and then went on to win the title later those same seasons. At Talladega Super Speedway in 2011, Again, in 2013 to 16, uh, Jimmy Johnson in 2016 finished 23rd in the sixth race in the playoffs at Talladega and then went on to win the title later that season. At Martinsville in 2004 to 2010, uh, Jimmy Johnson in 2010 and Kurt Busch in 2004 each finished fifth in the sixth race of the playoffs at Martinsville and then went on to win the title in the same season. Uh, I'm not sure that I can get to this next section here because we're coming up to the top of the hour. So I'm going to leave well enough alone there, Jay. And uh, we're going to go right on into our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, And joining us for that discussion right now is Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, how's everybody doing tonight? (laughs) We're doing very well, thank you. Uh, now, joining us will be uh, Andy Alasky. He's already told us he's going to be a few minutes late. Uh, so, Mike, for you, that means that you get to kick us off uh, with the first hot topic here tonight. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, he's been out for most of the past about two months or so due to injury issues. And uh, this week it became official. Michael Annette will not be returning to junior motorsports next year. He does intend to retire at the end of the season. No word if he's going to be getting back in the one car before the end of the season or not, but we now know that Michael Annette will not be back in the one uh, for next season. Okay. So Andy's not here, Jay. So why don't you pick us up with your comments on that? Because along with that, uh, I might as well bring this up along with that. Uh, There's been talk about Junior Motorsports running uh, five teams next season. Since Michael Lynette is not coming back, they will be only running those four cars next season. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, things coming together there. Junior Motorsports kind of put them in a bit of a jam, but uh, it's one of those of you got uh, the drivers there more than you had cars. I know uh, Junior had made the statement that if it it came together, he was willing to do five cars, uh, five teams. Uh, Unfortunately, the the way the situation worked out, they don't have to make uh, make that decision. Um, as Michael Annette has announced his retirement. Now, I do notice uh, kind of goes both ways. does use the word retirement, but it also uses the phrase full-time racing. So uh, we'll have to see if that becomes a part-time thing or if he does indeed take a break from racing altogether. Uh, not sure what the extent of his injury was. He came back, and then I know he uh, re-aggravated it. 
So maybe he's ta- thinking that he does need to take the time off to let it fully and properly heal. Uh, and that's, you know, you got to make that health decision uh, at the right time when it's best for you. So I wish him the best in whatever he does. If he does come back for some part-time uh, races, uh, he's got the sponsorship, and I don't know if then he'd be able to work with Junior Motorsports for that. Or like we said, if he does just step away altogether uh, from racing. Okay. Also joining us for tonight's Hot Topics is Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, what's going on, guys? How you doing? We're doing great. We're talking about the Michael Annette retirement and the fact that uh, Junior Motorsports uh, has had conversations about running five cars this next year uh, in the Xfinity Series. But with Michael Annette's retirement, uh, it's now uh, pretty much confirmed it will only be the four cars. So what are your thoughts about the retirement and four cars at Junior Motorsports? Um, yeah, not a huge shock. I think that probably in light of the injuries that he suffered this year and, uh, you know, where the performance has been, uh, in, you know, the last year or two, it was probably time for this to happen. Um, you know, certainly hate that, uh, Michael had to go through, you know, the injuries that he's had to do, but, um, it was just time for him really, uh, not a surprise that, um, JR Motorsports will have four cars next year. I think the only reason they would have had a fifth is if Annette had decided to come back. Uh, the the pilot flying J sponsorship, I believe, is connected to him, which is why he had that car in the first place. So uh, I think if he'd have wanted to come back, they would have fielded a fifth car. But uh, without that funding, there's no need to. It had already been confirmed that Gregson Allgaier uh, Barry and Mayer would be full-time next year. So um, it's not like he was forcing, given his sponsorship situation, he could have come back if he'd have wanted to. But uh, it was just a decision he made. And, and ultimately, anytime you can uh, go out on your own terms uh, from racing, it's always a good thing. So um, it was just time. And um, certainly, um you know, like I said, for him to be able to, to do it on his own terms is a good thing and uh, wish him the best in the future. Absolutely. Michael Annette uh, uh, had to make this decision, I think, for his own uh, uh, well-being, if you will. Uh, with that injury, I think it took a lot longer for him to recover than he thought it would. Uh, he did try to come back and I think re-injured himself. Uh, which is causing him to be out of the car for a lot longer than I think he anticipated. Uh, So I I give him kudos for making the decision. I kind of equate it to the decision that uh, Dale Earnhardt made a few years back when he had the concussion and uh, decided not to race for a few races uh, because of that. it was uh, the right thing to do, and I think this is the right thing to do for Michael Annette as well. Uh, Junior Motorsports certainly made it clear that they would open a spot up for him if he chose to come back. So, again, I do think that this is a good thing uh, that Michael Annette made this decision on his own. Uh, he was not being forced out at Junior Motorsports. Uh, this was a, a decision based on his own well-being, and I give him kudos for making that decision. I hope we do see him come back, either on a part-time basis 
or once he heals, if he decides to come back and race either in the truck series or the Xfinity series, I think people would welcome him back. Um, uh, Michael Lynette, uh, uh, does have the secure sponsorship that uh, is behind him. And, uh, again, I wish him all the best. Mike, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like you said, you always hate to see a guy go out with injury. You mentioned Dale Earnhardt. Another one to remember is Casey Kane. He had that mm-hmm. heat-related injury at Darlington. During, I think it was the 2016 Southern 500, and he never came back. The 2016 Southern 500 was Casey Kane's last race, and it's because of an injury. And you always hate to see a guy lose the opportunity to go out on his own terms, regardless of uh, how they performed throughout their career. You know, Michael Annette was always decent, but it, it, it was a, a hobby ride. You know, he had, he had the family sponsorship backing behind him. He could have stayed in that one car for as long as the checks cleared and the checks were going to clear. Um, so yeah, it always sucks to see him have to step away because of injury. Like we said, he has an p- opportunity to come back, and when he does, I'm sure the, the, the car will be available for him if he wants to go there. That does open up the question about sponsorship at Junior Motorsports. They are going to have the four full-time drivers. Um, two of them have really solid sponsorship, being Justin Allgaier with Brandt and Noah Gregson with Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, Bass Pro and the family sponsorship behind him. The real question mark is going to be Josh Berry. Uh, he's filled in in the eight car, which has a patchwork of sponsors uh, week to week. There's really no consistent overarching sponsorship on the eight car. Uh, and he's also filled in in Michael Annette's pilot sponsored one car while Annette's been out for injury. The real question is going to be, can Junior Motorsports maintain the relationship with Pilot Flying J that Michael Annette has brought to the organization in order to keep sponsorship on Josh Berry's car? And I really hope they are able to keep at least somewhat of that door open to give Josh Berry the best opportunity for success next year at Junior Motorsports. Okay. Jay, your follow-up? Well, and there we don't know the exact uh, reasoning that Michael Annette made this decision. Uh, you, you mentioned it, that it is a, a family company there with the pilot, Flying J. We saw Josh Berry fill in, get a victory in that car, and that is one of those hard things that a person has to look at when they're reaching that point in their career of, yes, he was doing good. It picked up the victory. He was in contention for the championship uh, or uh, playoffs, sorry. But when you see another driver come in to the same vehicle and take it all the way to the front in victory lane, you know, you got to take a step back and look at it of where, where am I at? And I think that kind of plays into it. And I hate to see it because I'm not saying a young developing driver, but I think we did see him as junior motorsports grew, Mike Lynette grow as a driver and have those capabilities. Like I mentioned, he was in the top 12 and eligible for the playoffs prior to falling out due to missing races. So tough decision for him to make. Uh, I don't know then with that following that, if we will see like uh, Mike alluded to of the pilot flying J maybe still doing some sponsorship with junior motorsports. We'll have to see what kind of announcements they make down the road as far as sponsorship. Okay, Andy, your follow-up. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's just, um, you know, a situation of of wishing Michael well, certainly. Uh, He's been in the sport uh, quite a few years, and, um, you know, fortunate that he did visit Victory Lane in that one car at Daytona a couple years ago. So, um, you know, you always 
kind of hate seeing people leave the sport, but but like I said earlier, yeah, he's doing so under his own terms, and and uh, you never know, maybe you know he'll be able to come back and, and run his favorite tracks or, or do a limited deal down the road. So, um, you know, certainly wish him the best, and and we'll see what he does in the future. Yes, indeed. I think it's really clear that Michael Lynette had a lot of support from NASCAR, not only with Junior Motorsports opening up a fifth seat for him if he chose to come back, but NASCAR also granted him the waiver uh, to, if he could keep himself in that top 12, uh, he was granted the waiver uh, to uh, be in the playoffs. Uh, but, of course, the, with the injury, he was not able to uh, sustain that top 12 advantage. And uh, so I, I do think he made the uh, right decision. But I think it's great that NASCAR left that door open for him if he was able to do it. Uh, Junior Motorsports left the door open for him if he chose to stay. So Michael Annette has nothing to feel bad about uh, other than the fact that he has an injury uh, that he really needs to take care of. And, uh, again, I hope that we do see him come back. Uh, I think he has been good for the sport. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, we've seen him develop at Junior Motorsports uh, and, and do quite well. So, Michael, I'm going to leave you with the last word here. Really nothing to add in terms of analysis. Just want to echo everyone else's sentiment of wishing Michael Annette a full and speedy recovery and hope to see him back at the track, if not in a driving capacity, at least kicking around the garage soon. Okay. Uh, Andy, I'm going to go to you next for the next hot topic. What do you have for us? Yeah, it looks like for 2022, um, kind of some pretty solid news for Jade Buford's team. Um, I forget the exact team name i'm not looking at the hot topics uh uh, stuff right now but um that team that he drives for which is the number 48 chevrolet in the xfinity series is going to have a relationship with rcr next year which includes i believe chassis and engineering support uh which is a pretty big step up for an underfunded team like that so certainly good news and and certainly interested to see what everyone has to say about that okay mike we'll go to you Sure. Uh, The name of the team that you're trying to think of, Andy, is Big Machine Racing. And you're right. They've been an underfunded kind of backmarkery team. Uh, One of those teams that if they're having a top 20, they're having a good day. But this is a big deal for them. Uh, I've said it repeatedly on this show that I'm always excited to see more competitive cars out on the racetrack. This looks like a move in the right direction to get another car up to speed and competitive on the racetrack versus just being another part of the traffic going by. So hopefully this really works out for them and they're able to improve in their, uh, their running position. Okay, Jay. I think, I think there's two things to it that, that we look at. You mentioned it. We've seen already, even with the team, the way it is, some uh, good runs by Jade Buford. So the talent is there, needing that little extra to get the team up to speed, and I think this partnership with RCR can be a huge factor. Second, we don't see as much in RCR in the Xfinity Series as we have in years past. Uh, We know Sheldon Creed is coming over into the the mix, so they can kind of spread it around of, of developmental uh, without a, without them adding a second or third team, full-time team, like we see some of the others. 
So I think Childress also sees it as an opportunity uh, to then uh, let's say establish a relationship with driver Jade Buford uh, down the road uh, if it comes to it. So a lot of good things, I think, when we see these partnerships as they build, like Mike mentioned, then building so we have 20 to 30 top competitive teams that are really truly contenders each and every week. And I think that's just good for the sport. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a great partnership. Uh, It is listed uh, on the media list for uh, announcements this week. Uh, RCR has a partner announcement uh, that they're going to be making Saturday, October the 9th. I don't know if this is the same announcement in just giving, uh, because it's going to be done in the fan zone. Uh, I don't know if this is just a continuation of the same announcement or if there's something more uh, to this announcement that could be coming on Saturday. But uh, I do think it's interesting. I I think it's going to be great to see um, this kind of strength behind Jade Buford. It will uh, make him even more competitive. We have seen him run, uh, have some good runs in the Xfinity series. Uh, so this is a win-win-win all the way around, I think. And I can't wait to see if there's more to the announcement uh, that we're going to hear on Saturday. So, Andy, what are your thoughts? It's good news from the standpoint of the more competitive cars we see in the Xfinity series, the better. Uh, certainly, we've seen some competitive racing here this season, but to add um, engineering support as well as cars for the uh, big machine racing team, I think that it will elevate their game and make them more competitive next season. And, and certainly, uh, the more teams that are able to compete for wins and, and possibly a playoff berth on a weekly basis just strengthens that series and makes it more healthy. So. I consider this to be a a positive thing, certainly for not only big machine racing, but also the Xfinity Series as a whole. I think next year's Xfinity Series um, driver lineup is going to be interesting, uh, certainly with several drivers moving on to cup next year. Um, We don't quite know what the landscape looks like, but I can think you have to think that this is this is going to be a pretty competitive team or at least certainly an improvement upon where they've been so it's a good thing certainly and and uh, certainly good for an up-and-coming team to have that support to to possibly go out there run better get exposure and and help grow and um, you know get more competitive so it's uh, certainly something to look forward to if you're a fan of, of that driver and team okay mike your follow-up well, let's not forget that this could also serve to benefit RCR as well. They've been a little bit off yeah. the pace the past two years since Tyler Reddick went up to the to the Cup Series. That you know, Tyler Reddick had that team, if not in victory lane every weekend, at least in the hunt for victory lane every weekend. And I, I think it's mostly been Myatt Snyder in the RCR car. And he hasn't been terrible, but he certainly hasn't been putting together the wins like Tyler Reddick did in that car. They're going to have Sheldon Creed in the car next year. And it's always good to bring in a fresh set of eyes to look at something. Uh, Whatever that something is, it's really easy to get yourself convinced that you're doing everything right and there's nothing else you can do to improve it. And bringing in that fresh set of eyes, in this case at RCR, who's been a little stagnant, hopefully it'll help get that team back on the right track and get not just the big machine car running better, but also the RCR cars running better and contending for wins again like they used to a couple years ago. 
Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, I would have to agree with that and follow along with that of uh, with with improving not just one team but multiple teams. And again, we've seen it. We talk about it. The Xfinity series, yes, stands on its own on its own, but is still the feeder system to the Cup series. So the, we talk about Ty Gibbs possibly coming in. These drivers, I think they're looking uh, long term down the future. Myatt Schneider being the one that's currently at RCR, bringing in Sheldon Creed. Again, I think they may be establishing a relationship with another driver, team and driver. So even though they aren't providing the car form, they're going to be involved with it and evaluating um, as we look, as you look at that of long-term down the future. And I think that's what the, the series needs. Uh, again, I'm not opposed to the cup drivers coming down occasionally and running, but I think that that really puts the emphasis on names being made there. Absolutely. And, and this is a great opportunity uh, as Mike brings up to not only help Jake Buford, uh, but to help RCR as well. Uh, and uh, we've seen alliances do very well uh, when they're working together. And so uh, with the fact that there's going to be, uh, a, another partner announcement made this weekend. Uh, I can't wait to see what that's all about. Uh, so I think RCR is building, and uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe it's a, a, a partner announcement for uh, Sheldon Creed that they're talking about. Uh, I'm not really sure. I just see it on the schedule, and uh, I'm just curious to hear what that's all about. So, Andy, your follow-up. Well, a couple things here specifically for RCR's Xfinity Series program. It should be noted that uh, they have an alliance, and I believe build Colleague Racing's cars. So RCR's presence in the Xfinity Series is um, a lot bigger than you might think. Yes, they field only one car this year out of their own stable, but Colleague Racing, which has three full-time cars, those are essentially RCR cars. So they've definitely got a fairly big presence, whether it's their own team or corporate teammates in the Xfinity Series. And it is possible that announcement you're referring to, Sharon, is that Sheldon Creed may have a teammate next year. I had seen somewhere that RCR is going to have a second Xfinity car next year, most likely, but it has not been announced yet as far as team driver or anything like that. But I would say that, um, you will probably hear about a second Xfinity car at some point from RCR, which would be a really good thing. Um, kind of the same situation with big machine racing, expanding its competitive nature for 2022. If RCR does in fact add a second full-time Xfinity car next year, it's just going to be another competitive car in the series. Um, haven't heard anything about what Myatt Snyder's doing. So that leads me to believe that, you know, maybe he'll be doing something different. Who knows? But um, nonetheless, if, if RCR does, in fact, expand, that's going to be uh, a good thing, I think, for the series. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Jay, we are up to you now for our third hot topic of the night. Well, I want to back up a little bit on, on our list. Uh, it was one that we had up on uh, Monday for Monday night. Uh, didn't get to, but Todd Bodine is going to run six races with sponsorship from Good Sam, uh, basically from Camping World CEO. Uh, and that six races will allow him to reach the 800 starts in the Camping World Truck Series. 
Okay, Andy, your thoughts about uh, Todd Bodine being back behind the wheel of a Campion World Truck Series truck? Well, I think it's just a good opportunity for him to go out there and have some fun. Uh, I'd be curious to see. Um, we know that Good Sam and or Camping World will be the sponsor. It'll be curious to see who the team is that can put together a deal for him to run. Um, you know, obviously Todd hasn't driven in a while. He's ultimately retired. He does broadcasting for Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports NASCAR's program. Um, I think it's just really a chance for him to go out there and have some fun. I wouldn't necessarily expect that he'd go out there and win races, but you know, for him to go out there, run six races, have some fun, and achieve 800 starts is quite an accomplishment. Uh, that's a lot of NASCAR races over the years, and, and certainly Todd has um, had success and won races and certainly had a, a decent career. Um, you know, so for him to go out there and, and cap it off to get that 800 mark is pretty cool. So, um, you know, it'll be fun to see him out there, and, and hopefully he can do it in a truck that's halfway decent, you know, and maybe – especially maybe on a short track or two, you know, can go out there and have a good run and, and who knows, you know, maybe, maybe he can muscle his way up there for a good finish in a couple of those races. So that'll uh, be fun to see him do it. You know, I mean, that's, that's certainly a career milestone and uh, you know, not very many drivers get to that point. So it'll be, it'll be good for him to, to reach that. Okay. Mike, your thoughts. Yeah. It's going to be good to see the old cue ball back behind the wheel of a race car. Um, I'll, a lot of people tend to forget how good Todd Bodine used to be in the truck series. Uh, he, he was a championship contender for quite a few years there. And even if you don't know who Todd Bodine is, and even if you're not really a NASCAR fan, chances are if you've ever watched any of those worst crashes in NASCAR compilation videos on YouTube, you've seen <laughs> Todd Bodine in a truck. It wasn't in an attack truck, but you saw Todd Bodine in what was left of a truck as he was bouncing off the Daytona catch fence. So he definitely has his little piece of, of NASCAR Truck Series history. And making 800 starts is a big deal, and it's another big piece of that history. And I, I'm kind of with Andy. I wouldn't go start penciling him on any of my, my fantasy picks for next year, no matter what races he runs. But who knows? Like I said, he used to be really good in a truck. So maybe you know, the, the stars are aligned and lightning will strike from him and Todd Bodine ends up getting him one more win before it's all said and done. Yeah, I think this is great news uh, to see Todd Bodine back behind the wheel of a truck. Um, and, you know, it, it occurs to me, too, he's been an announcer for some of the truck races uh, from Charlotte where he gives some of his analysis of the, what's happening in those truck series races. So for him to have this opportunity to get behind the wheel of a truck uh, with the current competition the way it is, uh, which is a lot of beating and banging and and uh, and I think it is kind of at a different level now. I think it's going to be fun to see Todd Bodine uh, in a truck and competing with uh, the current stable of drivers uh so uh, it's great to see him make that milestone uh i think it's going to be fun to have another veteran uh back behind the wheel of a truck and uh, i think again this is one of those win-win-win situations all the way around so uh, it's awesome to see uh jay yeah you hit on it win-win-win uh the history history of the truck series uh, I know that maybe he doesn't top the list, but Todd Bodine is very much involved 
in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series and its history. So to hit that historic 800 mark, uh, very huge. Glad he's got that opportunity. Second I look at the the win is Mark, uh, Marcus Lemonis. Is that his first name? Make sure I got that right. You, you got it. Yeah, um, Marcus Lemonis. I mean, to to pick out opportunities like that, and I, I believe it was on a Twitter challenge of how many retweets he could get. It wasn't like it was an unobtainable goal for him to do it. He's willing to put the money up for these things. We've seen it when he sponsors other teams in in the past um, at different levels, putting his money into the uh, SRX. You know, he is willing to invest in racing, and I love that. The third thing is, is you mentioned it, Sharon, having the veteran in the garage and on the track is a win for the Camping World Truck Series garage. Uh, you mentioned he does the analyst for, for Fox Sports as well as the race broadcast. Taking that to some of these drivers and then showing them out on the track. Uh, obviously, a couple things come into play. The track that he's at, uh, whether I'm assuming he's going to get that maybe kind of hand-pick some tracks, um, picking ones he's good at. The truck team that he goes with, we don't know yet, but I'm a little more optimistic than Andy, Andy and Mike. I'd take him on a fantasy team because I don't think he's going to go out there, <laughs> run for 10 laps and park and say, okay, that's one start down. I need five more to get to 800. You're going to see him out there battling. Good truck or not, he's going to give it 110%. So I think for him to be an impact in those six races he is in. <laughs> okay. Andy, your follow-up. Well, Jay, we're going to hold you to this next year for fantasy points and make sure you pick Todd Bodine in all six of his races. How's that sound? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I like it. I like I, I, as the official keeper of the bets. I like this one. <laughs> I, I'll okay. to, we'll, we'll talk about that. I, I'll, I'll have to think on that one. <laughs> okay, let me real quick uh, interject myself here. Uh, we are coming up to that time of the night that we are going to go off the air and we make a special announcement to our first-time listeners at this point just to let you know that even though we're going off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we are going to continue our conversation past that time and we'll have the recording going so that it will be available as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. Now, I'll go out on Twitter as soon as we're done here tonight to let you know that the podcast is available. And at that point, you can go to the player either at uh, uh, Blog Talk Radio or at FanforRacing.com and just fast forward it to the two-hour mark, and you'll be able to hear the rest of our conversation as part of that bonus overtime material. Again, we don't want our first-time listeners to be caught off guard uh, with the fact that we're going to go off the air kind of mid-sentence, and we want to make sure that you know how you can hear the rest of the conversation when we do go off the air still in conversation. So with that, uh, Andy, did you have anything more that you wanted to add to your your follow-up here? Uh, no, I don't. I'm I'm good to go at this time. Okay, Mike. Uh, one other thing to point out, Sharon, is you brought up a really good point about Todd Bodine in the broadcast booth and getting him back out on the racetrack and getting kind of current on what's going on on the racetrack behind the wheel. I, I think that's a really big thing that gets overlooked a lot of times. Ricky Craven stepped away from broadcasting a couple of years ago because he said he's just – 
He's too far removed from what's going on right now, and he didn't feel like his input was really relevant to what's going on on the racetrack right now. And that's not an uncommon criticism. Daryl Waltrip got the same criticism before he retired, and even Larry McReynolds catches some of that right now from being so far removed from active participation in the races. Uh, I think it's going to be great for the Fox Sports crew to get somebody who has current experience in an active live truck series race with Todd Bodine. I think that's going to help improve the overall Fox Sports broadcast product when we see these truck races on TV after Todd gets behind the wheel. So hopefully we do see an improvement in the truck series broadcast product. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's going to be, uh, like I said before, a win-win-win all the way around. Uh, I don't have much more to add, so Jay, we'll let you have the last word. Well, that, that's a very valid point of not just uh, being out of touch, but being able to provide deeper, more insight. Uh, you know, the first year or two when a driver comes out of the car, I know Jeff Gordon talked about it when he had started his broadcast and then did uh, fill-in for a couple of races <laughs> staying current in the car. So that, that is a good thing. Uh, you got to add that fourth win as it pertains to the broadcast then. And when they make the announcement of mm-hmm. what truck team he's running for, uh, Mike and I'll, Mike and I'll talk. Cause I, I think I'm down to the three cans of Mountain Dew left that I'm drinking on him right now. <laughs> yeah. I want to know what's on the line here. If uh, Jay picks Todd Bodine for those six races. Oh, more Mountain Dew, of course. <laughs> okay. okay, Mike, uh, you're up for our next hot topic. Sure. Well, we talked about Rick Ware Racing and kind of their uh, their business model, and we kind of see it in action this week. Uh, it was announced that basically Rick Ware Racing is going to be leasing one of their charters to Stuart Haas Racing to get Joey Hand behind the car of a NASCAR Cup Series race. Uh, it's going to be a Stuart Haas car. Uh, so it's going to be a Ford, but it's going to be on a Rick Ware number 52 charter, and they're going to be running it this weekend at the Charlotte uh, Roval. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, in the event that RWR does hold on to these, um, seeing it utilized in that fashion, I do see as a, I don't want to say a good thing, but uh a viable usage, or I don't think viable is the right word I'm looking for, but a good way to utilize it. Uh, if Stuart Haas is putting the car out there, uh, giving that driver an opportunity. So, yes, it would take a partner with RWR. As you mentioned, that when we talk about the Xfinity Series, that alliance, as they align with another team like that, if they can't run that fifth team, but to test out a driver or give a driver an opportunity specifically at a a specialty for them for road course racing. Uh, I do like that. Uh, We'll have to see how well it works out when you see, see that mixture and that combination between the two Um, with, I, I'm trying not to get into the whole charter thing because that still kind of really bothers me, but uh, (laughs) that ties into it. It it really does. I I, I think NASCAR really needs to look at how they can do this differently. Reward the teams that are there weekly, which is what the charters is designed to do, but don't lock it in where another driver can't get in on their own uh, that we've seen in the past. So I do like the fact that Stuart Haas is utilizing that opportunity for – this uh, this weekend. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? So, um, it should be noted that uh, even though probably a lot of people in the NASCAR world don't know who Joey Hand is, he's a 
a very accomplished sports car racer who has uh, multiple victories in that type of racing, uh, certainly very experienced with road course racing. He has ties to Ford Performance, and I think this was an opportunity for Ford to get him um, into a cup car. And, you know, certainly if Ford's going to put in the funding and the effort to get him into a car, it may as well be a competitive one, and that's probably why they um, – have SHR effectively fielding a fifth car and having looked at the crew rosters there's definitely some familiar names on there who are tied to SHR so this this whole concept of of fielding a car under a different team's name is really not new we've seen it uh multiple times through the past few years in fact uh there's been times this year where um you know, we've seen actually SHR field Xfinity cars under the BJ McLeod Motorsports banner. It's not a BJ McLeod Motorsports car. It's an SHR car with an SHR crew fielding it under a different team's name. I think uh, JR Motorsports actually may have fielded a car for, for Mayer uh, under a different team's name in the Xfinity series as well. So this is just, it's a business deal, really. Um, racing is a business. We talk about it all the time, and it's an opportunity for teams to um, make a deal with another team to field the car for that particular weekend, and the team who owns the, the number and the charter gets the points and, and reaps the benefits of a potential good run from a particular car, but it also allows another team to get a car into the field, uh, maybe to utilize the either the owner's points or the charter, whatever the case may be, but it's, it's a business decision. We see it happen a lot, and this isn't something new. We've seen it happen several times over the years, and, and really it's just an opportunity for Ford uh, to get Joey Hand into the field and to do so with a competitive car. So um, it'll be cool to see what he does. Like I said, this is a, a renowned sports car driver with vast experience who you know, obviously needs to come in and get used to the cup cars, but I, I think could run better than we expect him to this weekend. So it'll be uh, interesting to see. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's going to be a Stuart Haas racing car. We know that Stuart Haas has been behind kind of the curve this season. Uh, So I think it's great that they are bringing in somebody like Joey Ann uh, to be a part of that um, uh, race this weekend uh, as part of their development, as well as perhaps the development of Rick Ware Racing. Who knows? Uh, but, yeah, this is not the first time we've seen this happen. We've seen it happen not just with Rick Ware Racing, but you bring up a good point, uh, Andy. B.J. McLeod's done it quite a bit. Uh, and we've seen some other teams do it as well. So uh, it is going to be uh, – it's working within the current rules as they are, so I, I don't know if there's a downside to this. Mike, I suspect you have a downside to it. Uh, so I'm kind of curious to hear what your thoughts are. Uh, but I think this is, in this particular case, I think there's a lot of good sides that uh, can come from this. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, there's a couple interesting points on this. Uh, one is given the discussion that we had on Monday with regard to Rick Ware potentially losing the number 51 charter, I'm surprised mm-hmm. they didn't use the 51 for this application, assuming that with Stuart Haas equipment and a driver like Joey Hand, 
that car is going to do better than you can assume the majority of Rick Ware racing cars are going to do every weekend. And it might have given them the opportunity to pull that 51 out from the bottom three and, not, uh, and take them out of the potential of losing that charter at the end of the year. I'm sure there was a reason one way or the other for why they did it like that. I just found it a little curious. Uh, the other thing that I find a little interesting is it's kind of playing fast and loose with the four-car rule. Um, we talked about it last year with NASCAR being very concerned about making sure the 2311 didn't become a fifth Joe Gibbs racing car. And I understand that this is just a, a one-race deal for now, but it opens the door to the question of where is the boundary where, say, Joe Gibbs or Rick Hendrick wanted to field a fifth car for 10 races. And they do a deal like this to, with Rick where, hey, Rick, we're going to give you a, a Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. We're going to use your number 52 on it, and we want you to put uh, John Hunter Niemicek behind the wheel for these 10 races and your Rick Ware Racing number 51, but it's going to be a Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota that weekend. Um, I don't know where that's going to go with it, but it's, it, it's just an interesting thing to ponder, I guess. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Wow, Mike, you opened up several cans there. Uh, it goes it goes back to if you if you think about how how tightly aligned our teams uh when you talk about going back to uh, furniture row motorsports barney mm-hmm. visser was the owner we know that the crew came from joe gibbs racing the cars and everything were coming from joe gibbs racing so yeah that that's a tough line like you said especially in the scenario you laid out that it really would be essentially a fifth car uh, that they are putting out for a specific reason. So uh, that's an interesting point, and hopefully we don't have to go down that road. Uh, but, again, it does create more competitiveness, as we you talk about of hopefully this weekend it is a more competitive car. And long-term, maybe it does benefit Rick Ware Racing. They get this opportunity. And you mentioned uh, the question of, and I'd hate to see it manipulated even further that way of utilizing the 51 and getting it out of that bottom three spot. Uh, so uh, that was an interesting thought there that, of why they didn't, like you said. It, I'm sure they had their reason as to why it was specifically the 52. But, um, yeah, I guess it's something NASCAR will have to, to, to watch on um, and, and determine. But just for this weekend, I think it is a good opportunity I think it is a a plus on several levels and and what it develops for the future. Like I said, maybe it does help uh, RWR develop to where they can be a little more competitive as a company week to week. Andy, your follow-up. So the loophole here, we we talk about, you know, infringing on is it really a fifth SHR car or not. The loophole here is that Joey Hand is a rookie making his Cup Series debut. In that case, I believe a team actually can, even under its own banner, field a fifth car. So uh, that's probably where the probably where that loophole comes in. But, um, yeah, to kind of cap this off, I mean, this kind of a deal isn't new. I mean, there's so many alliances, so many um, technical things, engineering support, whatever the case may be. Uh, it seems like everyone helps each other these days, whether it's the truck series, Xfinity series, or the cup series, um, whether it's engineering support, chassis, crew members, um, utilizing someone's number so that it, 
it helps one team's owner's points but allows another team to field an entry. We see it all the time, and it, it's business. I mean, we have to remember that racing is a business, and, and these teams make these deals to not only help themselves but also help another entity out, and that's just the way it goes. And uh, honestly, I don't have a problem with it. You know, I think that maybe it helps Rick Ware Racing's position with its 52 owner's points, and it allows Ford Performance um, to get Joey Hand into a cup car and, and have it be competitive. So overall, it's, it's a win-win situation. Yeah, I think Andy brings up a good point. This is a business. Uh, they're not doing this at the beginning of the season with a 10-race schedule. They're doing this uh, at the end of the season uh, in a one-off situation, and uh, it, they're giving, uh, you know, a Stuart Haas Racing, this opportunity to work with Joey Hand. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, uh, but uh, I, 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 we've seen BJ McLeod do this with all kinds of different drivers all season long. So, uh I don't see this as being anything different. Uh, most of the people he's done it with have been uh, just a few races. They haven't raced uh, a part-time. It's been very part-time, uh, not a 10-race uh, situation, but um, a pretty part-time situation. So we'll see if anybody pushes the envelope there, but uh, I, I just see this as as an opportunity for uh, Stuart Haas Racing to check this guy out. So, Mike, your thought, your wrap-up. Well, I think the difference here is that it's the very overt about it being a Stuart Haas Racing car that's using a Rick Ware Racing charter and number uh, versus B.J. McLeod. You're right. that, that B.J. has had a rotating series of drivers through his various cars in the Cup and Xfinity Series, and that's kind of B.J.'s business and how they make money doing it. Um, this one, is, it seems a little bit different, just like I said, how overtly they are about it being a Stuart Haas racing thing. Um, and it's kind of like the, the discussion Andy and I had offline after Monday's show of instead of calling him Rick Ware Racing, it's going to be Rick Ware Charter Holding Company here. And instead of Rick Ware fielding their own race cars every week and their primary business becomes, hey, Rick Hendrick, Joe Gibbs, you want to ship me a race car for the weekend? We'll slap a number mm-hmm. on the side of it. You'll place under my charter, and uh, and that there we go. Um, so that this kind of feels like that door is just it, – it's not all the way open, but it feels like there's a toe in it right now. Yeah, and it'll be, it will be interesting to see if that does develop over time. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of keep an eye on that. I've got a feeling we might revisit this again somewhere down the road. Andy, you get a shot at the next hot topic. Yeah, I'm not sure if we talked about this yet or not, but it looks like Roush Fenway Racing was making a late-season crew chief swap uh, between its number 17 and six Fords. So kind of curious what everyone's thoughts are there. Okay, Mike? To be honest, I don't expect to see any significant difference on it for a couple reasons. Uh, One, the Roush Fenway cars have run relatively comparatively to each other. Uh, Chris Buescher's had some good races. Ryan Newman's been maybe a step back behind the pace, but he hasn't been substantially worse than the 17 car. And I don't know that there's going to be a huge difference in 
the performance of either one of those cars, especially with only six races left. I'm sorry, four races left on the schedule. So I don't I don't see a huge change there. Maybe there will be. Uh, it'd be nice to see him be a little bit better. We've talked about for years about how Roush Fenway is a step off the pace, and we've expressed optimism that Brad Keselowski coming on board next year with the team will help get them in the right direction. So maybe this is, is that first move towards getting in the, going in the right direction, and, and maybe it'll work out for him. But there's not a whole lot of time left in order for it to, to, to pay fruits. When you make a change like that, usually it takes a couple weeks to a month before you settle in, and now all of a sudden – the season's going to be over. So we'll see how it pans out. Okay, Jay. I think uh, I think that, that making that switch now is that planning for the future, and I get the feeling mm-hmm. maybe Brad Keselowski had a hand in it, uh, setting up for when he comes over there, as well as this is the time of year. I mean, you know, you didn't make the playoffs. You're looking forward to the next year. Now is the time to make that kind of change, so it's not a surprising move. We've seen it in the past. As soon as a team is out of the playoffs or doesn't make the playoffs, make those changes as far as what does need to be done to improve. And I say I think some of it has to do with Brad Keselowski coming over there, uh, setting up for the future of next year. Uh, so I think that had a, had a big factor in it. Jay, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was thinking exactly the same thing. Uh, it's not the first time we've seen something like this happen uh, where a team uh, is not in the playoffs, so they make some changes uh, at the end of this season to kind of prepare themselves for next season. Uh, and I think that's a good move for teams in that, in that kind of a situation. So uh, I, I agree with you 100%. I do think that Brad Keselowski maybe had something to do with that. Um, and whether or not it does make a difference, uh, time's only going to be the time will reveal whether it makes a difference or not. Um, you never know. It could be the connection, uh, between the drivers that makes the difference. Uh, but, uh, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm hoping Brad Keselowski is a part of positive influence, uh, for Rush Fenway Racing. I think that they've been kind of mired in, uh, in their thinking, if you will, uh, and kind of behind the curve uh, in kind of making some of the changes that they need to make in order to put themselves back into serious contention with other teams. So this could be just the first in uh, trying to right the ship, if you will. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot more that needs to take place there. Uh, but uh uh, I, I do think that uh, this is a step in the right direction, perhaps. What time will tell uh, whether it is or isn't. So, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, and this could be, um, like you, everyone's already mentioned, a move that, that sets the team up for 2022, or it could be an opportunity for Ryan Newman to finish out his career with Luke Lambert atop the pit box, somebody he had success with at Richard Childress Racing True. in the 31 car. There is, um, I don't believe any news about his future, but it is uh, widely expected. I don't think he'll be full-time next year. That's my personal opinion. That could be easily proven wrong, but this may be an opportunity for Ryan to close out his full-time career with someone he's familiar with and comfortable with atop the pit box, and and who knows, maybe it allows them to have a good run or two to close out the season. Um, But obviously, 
Roush Fenway Racing uh, not putting either team into the playoffs means they have work to do for next year, and obviously they're going to do uh, what it takes to rebuild and, and make personnel moves to get set up for next season. And, and I don't even know necessarily if either of those crew chiefs will be crew chiefs on those cars next year. I think that probably remains to be seen as well. But um, certainly they've made a move to close out the season. They'll work hard at, at getting better for next year. I think Brad Kozlowski's involvement um, automatically makes that team better for next year. And, um, you know, certainly I would expect, you know, pretty good things from them moving forward. But, um, you know, from specifically from the crew chief swap for this year, I think that, uh, you know, Ryan's going to get to close it out with someone he had success with in the past. And, and that's probably, uh, you know, all there really is to that move. Good point. Okay, Mike. Really, no team is going to have a cleaner slate other than a new startup team. But in terms of teams that are carrying over from one year to the other, it's hard to think of a much cleaner slate than what Ross Fenway Kozlowski Racing is going to have next year. Um, they're going to have a brand-new generation car, a new driver who, oh, by the way, happens to be an owner, a swapped set of crew chiefs. Uh, Chris Busher's only been with the organization for, I think this is going to be his third season starting next year. So, Yes, a veteran driver, but I would say he's probably still pretty malleable in terms of driver development. So there's a lot of upside to to what could potentially happen at Roush Fenley Keselowski. We're, we're going to have to just start calling him RFK because that's too much of a mouthful. But there's a lot of upside to what can happen there. So like you guys said, I, I agree. I think it's more of a move for the future than it is for the next uh, half a dozen races or less that are left in the season this year. Um, so hopefully it bears fruit because I remember back when Roush Fenway was – they. They were legit. They were the team in NASCAR that everyone was chasing. Mm-hmm. And it's been a shame to see them in the back and downsizing down to what is now a two-car operation. And hopefully we can see them back to uh, – well, I'm not a Ford guy, so I don't necessarily want to see them dominate like they used to, but at least be competitive <laughs> week over week, which they have not been over the past – going on almost 10 years now. Okay, Jay. Uh, hold on, man. I, I was going to say I was going to afraid somebody was going to rip the phone out of my ear there. Amanda's here. And I was like, Mike's talking bad about Ford. So <laughs> now, oh, <dear>. um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do think I really think that that Keselowski has a hand in this. There's only so much he can do right now, obviously running for the championship this year, driving for Penske to finish out the year. I think this is one of those. And that was one of the things he did mention of being involved in in the uh, planning and that. So I, th- I think that he's got a heavy hand in this, whether it's to set himself up for the team and crew chief he wants uh, coming in or not. Uh, not real sure on that. We'll have to see how they keep it for next year. But, again, shake that up, see where improvements can be made. Uh, like you said, a little bit of it maybe try and give Ryan, Ryan Newman – uh, the best they can to finish out the season. Not that they haven't uh, all year, I guess, but it obviously did not get them into the playoffs, so why not try something different? Exactly. I, I think this is a chance for them to test this out and decide if they want to take it into next year. Um, so, you know, why not try it now uh, when it's not going to impact anybody in a negative way? Uh, uh, at least you hope it doesn't impact anybody in a negative way. Uh, and if it does work out, 
take it into next year. But, yeah, I think it's a step in the right direction. And I think we all agree that uh, Rush Fenway Racing needs to take a step in the right direction. Uh, and if they can test something out now versus waiting until next season to test it out, uh, why not? So I, I don't really have a, a whole lot more to add here. So, Andy, I'll let you uh, finish it out. Uh, I don't have any follow-up either, so I'm I'm good to go. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're kind of close to the top of the hour here, so I'm going to go ahead and do the roundtable at this point. So, Jay, you were supposed to have the next hot topic. Let's start with you. Well, then my closing hot topic would be, I think I got about 12 hours and I'll be getting on the road, headed to Jackson Motor Speedway for the All-American 60 this weekend. Comp cam, super late models there on Saturday night. So follow me on Michael Hoosman on Facebook, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And you'll see some different things uh, covering that race this weekend. Tell them, baby. Okay, Andy? CB14 fan on Twitter and uh, really excited about the Roval this weekend um, uh, for the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series cutoff races. And that certainly will probably lead to some pretty interesting racing action. Uh, It's always one of those events I look forward to each year. So we're looking forward to watching both of those races and uh, hopefully can participate in our usual chat, which is generally me and Mike and uh, looking forward to the weekend. Okay, Mike, I know you've got an article uh, that you've submitted. I hope to get that out sometime tomorrow. Okay, great. I was going to mention that. Uh, it's Mike underscore O on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Jay, you missed your opportunity, man. If you're going to be at Jackson Raceway, you can't miss your opportunity to say you're, you're Capital City Raceway. Um, so good for you on that one. Uh, I am also really looking forward to the racing at the Charlotte Roval this weekend. It's a great racetrack. It's terrifying to drive, let me tell you what, but it's a lot of fun to watch it on TV, and that's exactly what I'm going to be doing. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm probably going to miss the next two weeks of shows. I say unfortunately, i got to keep the lights on at the house. So I'm going to be at work for the next two weeks, but I'll at least be on our race day chat and keep up with everybody. Okay, and we've already talked to Tommy. Tommy's going to step in for you, uh, at least on Thursday night. I'm hoping maybe we can get uh, Owen for Monday night. And if Owen can't do it, then I'll open that up for Tommy as well. Uh, but I Sharon, am stand for racing. Yes. Can, can I can I give a big thank you to Mike? Uh, Amanda was telling me at the same time, be like, you didn't say your Capital City Raceway. I'm like, well, hopefully Mike's got my back, and he did. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> okay, well that's good. I'm here good. for you, that's Jay. Good. Okay, uh, I am fan for racing site on Twitter. Bamper Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including BamperRacing.com, where we put a lot of the recaps. I mentioned Jay's article, or not Jay, but um, I'm sorry, Mike's article uh, that's coming out about the uh, long yellow flag situation that took place at, well, all season long, but particularly at uh, Talladega Super Speedway. I also have an article here. Uh, from NASCAR about uh, Ben Kennedy, and I'm looking forward to putting that out tomorrow as well as the NASCAR Driver Diversity Awards. Uh, Quite a few awards were given out, and uh, we'll put that article out tomorrow as well. So uh, I am also looking forward to uh, the races this weekend at uh, the Charlotte Roval, as well as 
the penultimate race for the ARCA West out at All-American Speedway. Uh, this is the last race before their season finale at Phoenix Raceway in November. So uh, a lot on the line uh, for all of these races this weekend. And uh, I hope to maybe uh, join you guys on the chat room. I know I haven't been there. It's been an extremely busy summer for me this year. And uh, I hope that uh, things will loosen up here and uh, I'll be able to get in there on the chat room as well. So with that, a big shout-out to our listeners. We appreciate all of you for tuning in, whether it's on the podcast or the live broadcast. We appreciate you taking the time to hear what we have to say. And to our Fan for Racing crew, uh, that includes uh, Jay Huseman, Andy Lasky, and Mike Orzel tonight. Uh, thank you for being here. We appreciate all that you do. And uh, uh, I hope everybody enjoys their race weekend this weekend. And with that, We'll call it a wrap, guys. Have a good night. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. See you on the other side.